This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free of the chains holding me. Is anybody out there hearing me? Set me free. Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Glad to have you along on this beautiful day in Phoenix, Arizona. And for those of you who might know, not not know who we are, Blazing Grace is an international ministry to persons who struggle with porn addiction and adultery. Uh, we do counseling for individuals, couples, youth. I do speaking in churches, conferences, retreats, and written books. We offer phone courses for husbands and wives, and you can learn more about us at blazinggrace.org. So when men come to us for help, um, when they're in bondage to pornography, I would say the average age that they got initially got hooked before they came to us for help was age eight, um, when they're very young. And then usually what happens is they'll go through life as a teen. They don't tell anyone. They're ashamed. Maybe they don't have a good relationship with their parents. They get married um, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, maybe even 40 years down the line. They haven't told their wife. They get caught. Their marriage blows up. Their family is traumatized. And I would say that the average age of people who are coming to us for help, couples, is between their 40s and their 60s. That's really damage control. And what really needs to happen is that we talk to our youth openly about the topics of sex and pornography and walk with them through that journey. And there's going to be times we get contact from parents who, you know, my teenage son is addicted on this stuff, and what do we do? So today I have a guest with me. This is Kelly Chavez. She is an entrepreneur and a mother of two uh, she also has a teenage son, so Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for having me here. I really appreciate it and um, just love what you're doing and um, really helping people uh, through this, through these struggles that they're going, that they're going through. And um, yeah, do you want me to just jump in and, and share a bit about my story and yeah, whatnot? let's go for it. Awesome. Well, um, so I, um, you know, I have a 17-year-old son, and I got pregnant with him when I was 18 years old. And his dad and I, we were not married. We had only been dating for a couple of months. Um, His dad and I did know each other throughout high school and whatnot, so it wasn't a stranger, but um, we quickly moved in together. And uh, when I told him that I was pregnant, 
he did not want me to go through with the pregnancy and um, he wanted me to have an abortion and I wasn't willing to do that. And, uh, you know, being pregnant and knowing that I was going to have a baby was really the only happiness that I had had at that time in my life. Um, you know, I was having the relationship that I was in with his dad had just it had become so toxic, um, a lot of verbal abuse, some physical abuse. And I just remember nights when, you know, he'd lock me out of the house and I'd go sleep in my car in the apartment complex parking lot. And it was just, it was really bad. You know, I remember thinking one night about how I had come from such a loving Christian home where my parents were still married. And, you know, my dad still opened the car door for my mom and brought her flowers and just this really just loving marriage. And, and how the heck did I get to where I was at that day? Um, I had nothing but just amazing relationships modeled for me. And you know, my dad would come over to my house and he'd try and save me from that relationship. And um, and my son's dad would, would threaten me if I answered the door. And so I wouldn't answer the door. And it, it was just toxic. And you know, I have story after story like that, but I'm not, not going to get into it. But, you know, I remember one night um, I walked into our bedroom and I saw that he had cocaine on the nightstand. And he told me that he was going to start selling it. And, uh, and he was going to go big and all this stuff. And at that point, I was done. I knew, like, this was the turning point for me. I wasn't going to live a life like that. I wasn't going to have our son live a life like that. And um, I just wasn't willing to risk my son, you know. And, and I I left. I moved back in with my parents. And uh, my dad really took on that, that father role for my son. And he helped raise him. And uh, I didn't ever not allow my son to see his father. I was fine if he would, you know, pick him up and wanted to take him over to his parents' house, my son's grandparents' house, or if he wanted to take him to the park. Um, he never wanted to take him overnight or anything like that. It would just be for short periods of time. Um, but there were countless times when he told our son that he was coming to get him, and, you know, we'd, we'd pack up his little backpack and he'd put in some of his favorite toys and um, he was excited that he was going to go get to see his dad and we'd get his car seat all ready and he'd be waiting by the door and his dad just it, it wouldn't he wouldn't show up and um, mm. it broke my son's heart you know and it happened time and time again and then at one point I had to put my foot down it's like you know I, I just wouldn't tell our son anymore that that his dad was coming and so if he showed up, he showed up. And if he didn't, my son never knew that he was supposed to come anyway. And um, when my son was about four, his dad left the country. And he didn't come back until our son was probably 11 or 12. Um, he talked to him on the phone maybe once a year, but he wasn't around for him. Our, my son would still go over and visit his grandparents, so his dad's parents still had a relationship with him, a really great relationship with him, actually. And um, he would stay with them maybe one weekend out of the, the month. Uh, but he didn't actually talk to his, or he'd talk to his father maybe once a year on the phone. Um, and so, you know, he, he wasn't present for him. And so my, my dad stepped up big time for him and was like his 
father. I mean, he took him to church on the days that I didn't want to go to church, and he did Bible studies with him, and he picked him up from school, and he helped do homework with him. And, you know, anytime there was something at school that was a a father-son event, a baseball game or something like that, my dad was just so quick to to step in and and be like, of course, we're we're going together. Of course, I'm going to take you. And, you know, he was just, he was amazing. He was an amazing uh, dad to to me and to also um, to Elias. And so I didn't really realize the effect that Elias's dad not being around had on him. I was thinking, you know, at first I was like, oh, I want this white picket, you know, family, the, you know, white picket fence in front of our house and this perfect relationship. And um, and then when it wasn't, it, it wasn't that. So I thought that, um, you know, us not being together, that that was, you know, it was the right decision for us and for what, you know, what we were going through. But um, I, I just didn't even realize the effect that having a son and, you know, having his dad not around and, and what that does to a son. Um, I, I ended up getting remarried and um, my son asked if he could call my husband dad because we were, we were pregnant with a little girl. And so I remember our son was saying, well, this little girl, you know, my sister, she's going to call him dad so is it okay if I call him dad too and we said of course that's fine and so he's called my husband dad ever since then um and so but the fact that his biological dad was not around really played a part in you know my son growing up and everything and um you know my my parents when I was a kid they were hard on me I mean they did the best they knew how to do um, with me, but I just, I remember any time when, you know, if I had a bad grade on a paper or anything like that, because they were so hard on me, I didn't want to tell them. And so I would just hide the paper and hope that they wouldn't find out. Um, I was just always afraid to tell them if I messed up. Um, you know, they were, they were stressed out. They were stressed about money and they were stressed about, you know, lack of time and kids and all sorts of things. And, um, and so I just knew that if I brought anything to them, that they were going to be upset. And so I just remember thinking that when I had kids later on, I wanted to be a parent in a way where my kids were not afraid to tell me anything. Mm. Um, I I wanted them to be able to come to me and say, hey, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm having a hard time. Can you help me? And so I've just always had the mindset of, you know, kids are going to screw up. They're they're going to make mistakes. And if they didn't, I would worry. Like, you know, if kids make it through life without ever making a mistake, I mean, it's not going to happen, you know. And so my job as a parent is to help walk them through that or walk with them through that. So like, okay, you made a mess. Now how are we going to fix it? And I would help walk them through fixing it and fixing it the right way, not just running away from from our problems because sometimes it's easier to do, but to face them head on and, and how are we going to get through this? And so almost, you know, treating them when they were kids, almost like mini adults, like I was raising adults and how are, um, you know, how did I want them to be when they, when they were adults? And, you know, if you ask my son today, 
why he and I have the relationship that we have. Someone had actually asked him that. Why Why are you and your mom so close? And he said um, that it's because I. he always knows how I'm going to respond to everything. Um, I'm always going to respond with love and grace, and I'm not going to scream, and I'm not going to yell at him, and that I've just created this safe place where he can come and, and talk to me about anything. And I think that, you know, that's something that's lacking in a lot of people is, you know, we feel like as the parent, we need to be, you know, really hard on our kids and we need to be the parent and not the friend. And I wasn't necessarily Elias's friend. I was Elias's parent, but I was a parent in a way that allowed him to come and talk to me, that allowed him to come and share struggles and things like that with me. And, um, you know, in, in July of this year, he is 17 now. And so he had came to me and told me that he's been living in sexual sin, um, for the past probably seven or eight years. He couldn't put a, uh, you know, couldn't pinpoint exactly when it had started, but he was addicted to pornography. He was masturbating on a daily basis. He was sexually active with his girlfriend. And I'm not going to lie, it completely shocked me. Um, My initial thoughts were, you know, what did I do wrong? How did I not know this? Where the heck does he have time for all of this? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're a close family. And so I'm, I'm thinking sexually active with your girlfriend when where like you know when when has all of this happened i never let them be home by themselves um you know anytime he stayed the night at the friend's house i made sure to talk to the parents first i i knew the parents i knew where he was going i knew what he was doing i had safeguards on his phone and on his computer um and i I'd, I'd also check his phone and check his computer and um, I had never once in my life, I know this is kind of crazy, I had never caught him in a lie. And so I didn't have a reason not to trust him. He would come to me when he screwed up and, hey, I screwed up. And, and he just, he didn't lie about it. And so I just, I never had a reason not to trust him. And so when he shared that with me, my world was absolutely rocked. I was in shock. Um, you know, he told me he needed to talk to me and he brought me into his room and for probably two hours straight, he cried and he shared everything with me, cried like I've never seen him cry before. And, and I just hugged him and I, I loved on him and I told him that we're going to get through this. And, um, you know, I started looking into, uh, different programs. I was researching online and I found, Blazing Grace, and Mike, I read your story, and um, uh, my son started getting counseling from you probably in August, so just walking to us and helping us navigate through all of this, and, you know, there have been, as a parent, there's been so many times that I've been frustrated with the journey, and, you know, I don't ever share this with him. I don't share that I'm frustrated about this. Um, because to be honest, it's not about me. It's about him and it's his journey. And I just need to be there for him and love on him. And, 
Um, there have been many nights I've cried myself to sleep because of this. And, you know, he's not perfect. He's on the road to recovery. Um, there's times that he messes up. And there's times I just get so frustrated on the inside. Um, you know, I, I've thought things like, well, if you didn't put yourself in that situation, that wouldn't have happened. Or just stop it already. Or you have the resources, so why is this still going on? And you know, why is this taking so long to recover from? And of course, those are all internal things. I don't ever say those things out loud, but I've, I've had all of those thoughts. You know, as a parent, it hurts. It hurts watching your child hurt. It hurts watching them go through something like this. And, um, you know, I've, I've struggled with, you know, how do I put boundaries in place as a parent, but not make them so restrictive that then they find ways around it and and hate you for it you know and um mike you've been so instrumental in this whole thing where my son can go to you on a you know pretty much weekly basis and share with you and you give him such great insight and then you know you and i have had a conversation where i just you know had all these questions as far as how do i do this how do i navigate this what is my place in all of this and you know, I think it's important to I try to keep my eyes off of myself and, and keep my eyes on him and the situation. And the most important thing that I can do for him is let him know that I'm there for him. I'm not going to get mad at him when he comes to me. Um, if he makes a mistake, I have to realize that it's not going to be perfect just because it all came to light and is out in the open. That doesn't mean that there's you know, never going to be another mess up again. Um, it just, it means, hey, okay, now it's out in the light and now we can focus on recovering and getting better and working through this together and um, just always providing that safe place for him to be able to come and talk to me. And I'll tell you, there have been, you know, so many nights where I just, um, where he says, mom, I need to talk to you. And I, I just, I make myself available um, I think it's so key, especially in the beginning of all of this and the fact that he was even willing to open up. I mean, I'm sure that must be hard to come to your parent. It's one thing to say, hey, I failed a, 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 a math test. It's a whole nother thing to come and say, hey, I've been living in sexual sin for this long and here's all the things that have been happening and the lies and the, you know, secrets and all of that, that's a whole different thing. And so just, you know, I think it's so important that, that the kids know that we love them and we're here for them and we support them. And, you know, the statistics of um, teens and Mike, like you had said before, that um, the pornography typically starts or the average age is eight years old. And that it's just mind-boggling, you know, and um, and that's about when it started for Elias. He thinks that it started around nine years old or so, probably eight or nine years old, and um, you know, and as a parent, I'm like, what? Where? You know, when did this happen? Because you know, having all those safeguards on his computer, I had different programs and things, and I, you know, kids find ways around things, and so I think it's important to just. You know, when you know some of those statistics, to be able to talk to your kids and um, and have open conversations and, and things like that and just be as educated as you can be. Mm. Um, but, you know, we're, we're 
on this journey and we're, you know, he's on the, the road to recovery. He's read a lot of, you know, your, your different books and he's doing the things that you're teaching him to do. And um, I have total hope that he is going to get through this. I know that he will. Um, and it's, it's going to be a journey. So, mm. yeah, I hope that that, um, that that helped. Do you have any uh any questions or anything? Or? <clears throat> yeah, thank you. That was great. And one thing I'm curious about is, did a lot? Did your son say what um, triggered him coming to you? Um, you know, he actually had he had had this moment. We were on vacation, and um, he said that he had like this radical encounter with God while we were there in the hotel room and um, it was one night and he just realized like that he can't live like this anymore. And um, he knew that when he came home that he had to share all of this with me and just get it off of his chest. He was so tired of living in darkness. He was tired of, he said, gosh, he, I remember he didn't sleep very well. He'd have such a hard time sleeping at night and I didn't know why, and um, and that first night after he told me, he slept like a baby, and he mm. did for weeks, and he he sleeps great now, and he said that it was just this weight of all of this, you know, this um, these secrets and these lies and whatnot that he had had for so long, and then finally when he shared it, he felt free. You know, he was still dealing with it, but he felt free. The fact that somebody else knew and he's just so grateful that he that he did share so i really want to affirm uh your approach with walking with him and we see parents who when they either catch their kids with porn or it comes out they go into lecture mode or pound on them i know one mom who actually started spanking her 14 year old son and so that that is the wrong approach because that will drive him right back into isolation and further into the addiction. Right. So I really want to affirm what that he's able to even come to you with that. I mean, that was that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I think that's the main thing is you know not not screaming, yelling, not not spanking, and and just realizing kids are kids are going to do things and kids are are going to make mistakes and kids are going to look at things that they shouldn't look at. And um, if you just kind of know that going in, then when it happens, it's, you know, okay, let's, let's work through this, you know, rather than um, being so upset. And, you know, I've, I've been taught before, you know, when you're raising kids that don't just look in the moment, because I know in the moment you can be upset and frustrated and you almost want to scream and yell sometimes, but look long-term, like what kind of relationship do you want with your kids, even when they become adults? Do you want them to look back and go, man, I had such a great childhood where I was always able to come to my parents and I have such a great relationship with them? Or do you want it to be like, man, I couldn't wait to get away from them and get out of their house and never see them again, you know? And I, I wanted to have that long-term relationship with him. Mm. So. <clears throat> Kelly, we got a minute left. So I just want you to speak to the audience and uh, speak especially to parents. Let's say you're talking to an, a parent who just found out their kid's looking at pornography. What would you say? 
Um, I would say, uh, first of all, love them, give them a hug, tell them that you're going to be there with them. You're going to walk through this with them. And the biggest thing for us was um, getting the help that um, my son needed to where he was able to walk through this because I hadn't dealt with this before. You're not alone. I think that's a huge thing to remember. You're not alone. Um, So many other parents are going through this. And just be grateful at the fact that you found out either you, you discovered it on your own or that your kid came to you and told you. Be grateful that that's out in the open and now you know and you can deal with it. You're not alone and you have such a great resource through Mike and through Blazing Grace and through this radio show and through the books that he's written and whatnot um, to really help your child move forward. Okay, uh, last question. Are churches talking about this enough and openly? Ten seconds. No, not at all. Um, and knowing that you that you come and talk to churches, we're actually going to talk to ours and see if um, we can get you in there. I think that would just be amazing. I, I never hear about it at church, so mm-hmm. I think it needs to be talked about more. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.